Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the house. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this, is, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you here in this online space. We've had a bit of a different week this week. Snow, first of all in the air, little bits of it, and then actually waking up and seeing it on the ground in the morning. It's kind of funny how the same thing happens every year. We have the same experience around this time every year, and yet it still catches us off guard. We're still like, oh my goodness, snow, how can that be? I got an email in my inbox this week, a newsletter from the author Maria Popova, and she was reflecting not about the white stuff, but about the changing colors and the falling of leaves. And I wanted to share just a little bit of these poetic words she shares and then reflect on them. Each falling leaf, at once a requiem for our own mortality and a rhapsody for the unbidden gift of having lived at all. As the seasons change, outdoors, and here within our Elevation community, I'd like to invite you to listen for both the Requiem and the Rhapsody, those sorrowful notes, but also the celebratory ones, remembering God's presence and faithfulness with us through it all. This month, in our final series together, I'm gonna to be taking us through the four Gospels that begin the New Testament of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're gonna be talking through them somewhat chronologically. Last week we began by looking at the first few chapters of Matthew and really the first few segments of Jesus' life. And this morning we're gonna talk about the next kind of few chapters in Mark's gospel and the next segment of Jesus' life following on with Luke next week and John the following week. Like a portrait that an artist is still working on, this morning is about maybe adding some color to the underlying sketch that was begun last week. And as I said last Sunday, each gospel's author has certain points that they wanted to make and others that they were actually happy to leave alone. Mark skips right over some of the things that Matthew thought were really important. For example, the long list of genealogies, for example, the birth narratives. And he gets his, his story rolling with the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Now, last week we spent just the briefest of moments in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I mentioned just a couple of different quotes, and I didn't include these or many other beautiful little snippets of wisdom that Jesus shared that day. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you will find. Or how about this one? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And how can we forget? This then is how you should pray. Our Father. And Jesus teaches us the most well-known of all prayers. So there was a lot of good that Jesus had to share in that Sermon on the Mount, even though Mark decides to skip it over. Jesus spoke in a way that introduced people to God's kingdom, but he also acted in a way that demonstrated the same thing. And this ends up being Mark's primary focus. Jesus' teaching was unparalleled. And to be honest, I don't actually know how Mark could stand to leave some of these gems that I've just shared with you out of his story. But if all that Jesus did was talk about his kingdom, I'm not sure that the message actually would have got that far. I read something in the news maybe two weeks ago that was just so fantastic. The story just was so heartwarming and I thought it is gonna fit perfectly when we start talking about Mark. So the headline goes like this, Sikh hikers use turbans to rescue men who fell into waterfall pool. So the headline says it all. Basically, these guys were out hiking in BC and a couple of them slipped somehow into this pool at the bottom of waterfall and they couldn't get out. Uh, so these guys, these five buddies, they were hiking and uh, they came across these guys who were in danger. And so I think three out of the five of them uh, had turbans on their heads, they were all Sikh. And they decided, let's take these turbans off tie them together. They did this and they created basically a 33 foot long rope and a couple of them stood at the top and then someone helped the guys get out from the water below and they pulled these guys up and rescued them using their turbans. And I thought, well, this is just like the best picture of like putting religion into action, into practice. I thought it was fantastic. Such a powerful and such a beautiful illustration of quite literally applying your faith. When I was thinking about that story, this word came to mind, which is a word that I really love. It's the word congruence. The word congruence could be defined different ways, but it includes themes like agreement or harmony or compatibility. You might recognize the word from high school geometry uh, with the, in the world of triangles, where you had to look at two different triangles and say, are they congruent? Even though they're maybe shaped slightly differently or twisted, uh, you had to measure the angles, measure the length of the sides and say, yes, they are congruent. Well, Eugene Peterson says that the Christian life is the lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. And as we'll see today, Jesus was pretty big on this. Not only did Jesus talk about a life of faith, but he set an example of what it looks like to live life as a seamless whole. What he said matched what he did, and what he did lined up with what he said. Now, our reading this morning begins with quite a scene. The people gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, for many of us, ima even imagining a room packed to overflowing with people can set the nerves on edge as we emerge ever so slowly from pandemic life. But what Jesus taught that day, interestingly, is lost to history. Mark doesn't let us know. But what we know is that Mark was somehow okay with this. He moves quickly on to what Jesus did when a paralyzed man was brought before him. Now we're gonna come back to that story, the rest of it a little later, but a pattern had already been established in the early years or the early months of Jesus' ministry. In Mark 1.33, we read, the whole town gathered at the door. In Mark 1.45, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Mark 3 verse 10, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. You see, when someone arrives in town, healing people left, right, and center, you show up. Now, don't give me some load, some story about 
you know, I don't believe in miracles or I don't believe in healing. Like, don't believe that. If your neighbor showed up at your door and said that their child who'd been in, sick bed, bed, in bed sick for a week all of a sudden was healed because this person came by and prayed for them, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And then if another neighbor came by and said, you know, my mother-in-law lives in our ensuite and she just passed away and we called the EMS, but this guy came by and he prayed for her and she came back to life. You'd be like, okay, wait a second, this is happening a lot. And if someone else in your neighborhood said, guess what? The guy who's been doing all this healing, he's at the house down the street and he's about to perform another miracle. Don't tell me that you're just going to sit there and finish your popcorn or whatever you're doing that night. You are going to that house to see what on earth is going on. And this is what happened. Every, people started hearing these rumors and they started following Jesus. Let me give you just one example. This one comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 42. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. All this, at this, they were completely astonished. Completely astonished, and then some. I mean, this little girl, this 12-year-old, they just lost her. She just passed away, and Jesus is like, he walks into the house, and he prays, and she comes back to life. Now, if we continue on in Mark, the very next chapter, we read about how this began to spread, and it really took over. They ran throughout that whole region, and they carried sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Through his healing miracles, Jesus demonstrated his power over sickness and even over death, but he would go on to demonstrate his power over the entire natural world itself. Now, there's a modern fascination, usually uh, illustrated or demonstrated in like modern movies, uh, the fascination with superpowers, the ability to spin silk webs, the ability to fly, to bend time, to throw a heavy hammer really far. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus speaks words of healing, or words of blessing, over five loaves of bread and two fish, and he uses them to feed a crowd of 5,000 men besides women and children. At the conclusion of this miracle, Jesus sends his disciple off in a boat so he can spend some time in prayer. And then later on, he joins them by walking on the water to meet them in the boat. This wasn't the first time that he had blown their mind on that lake either. If we go back a couple chapters to Mark chapter 6, verses 38 and 39. This is, uh, you imagine the picture, they're out on this boat, this wicked storm whips in, the wind, the waves overtaking the boat, and then we read that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible, I love it. He's just there sleeping, this wicked storm is brewing. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. What do you do with that? What do you do with someone who can speak to the wind and have it listen? 
There's a line in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, where Peter is preaching and trying to explain about the miraculous events that are happening around. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. If his teaching wouldn't convince them, then surely the miracles would open the eyes to the fact that this was no ordinary man, that he had been sent by none other than God. Now, if you ask me, I think some of the more miraculous things that Jesus did wouldn't actually fall under the classic category of miracles at all. When someone rises to prominence, they are put under a proverbial microscope. Think about A-list celebrities, Think about business moguls. Think about the royal family, right? Everything that they do is picked apart and analyzed. Why did Kanye change his name? Will Elon Musk really donate $6 billion to the UN? Can Harry and Meghan's marriage possibly survive? I mean, all of these questions, people are paying attention to the little details of these people's lives. Fortunately for us, This tendency was also alive and well in the first century, leading to some fascinating encounters with Jesus because people paid very close attention to this person who was performing miracles and healing people. Now, immediately following the events of this morning's reading, Jesus calls a man named Levi, also known as Matthew, to follow him, and he ends up having dinner at his house that night. Slipped in as though it's really not a big deal, Mark notes that Jesus was surrounded at the table by tax collectors and sinners, for there were many who followed him, he notes. Not respectable religious folks, not people with contacts, not pedigree, not even manners maybe, but tax collectors and sinners. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, we're not told if these were the same teachers who questioned Jesus when the man who was paralyzed was brought to him, but their skepticism was very much the same. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, following the aforementioned miraculous calming of the storm, Jesus and his disciples had across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, this was Gentile territory full of all kinds of sinners, as far as Jew is concerned. I was thinking about uh, entering like a place that would be strange and foreign to you. And, and I think uh, I haven't done a lot of traveling, of course, lately, but uh, two or three years ago, Sophia and I did a road trip to a tournament that she had for softball in Flint, Michigan. And when we drove, got off the highway in Flint and we were driving down this road, it was really foreign territory. We were surrounded. It was like liquor store, gun shop, adult entertainment store, one after the next, all the way down this road. I was like, like I'm a grown man. And I was like, let's lock the doors. It was just like being in this place. And I'm like, I don't belong here. This is so different. It's unfamiliar. That's what it would have been like for these Jews to li- land on the shores of this Gentile town. So what happened when they got there? As soon as he stepped ashore, Jesus was confronted by a man with an evil spirit. A what now? Did I hear you say an evil spirit? Yes, I did. In fact, this is a common theme in Mark's gospel. In chapter three and verse 11, he writes, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Now, what do we do with stories like this in our modern rational world? Of course, I believe that there could be other explanations for what was happening in the life of the man from the Gerasenes, and it's okay for us to explore those ideas, so long as we don't fail to acknowledge the very real nature of evil in our world and the ways that it can manifest itself. So what does Mark tell us about this man in chapter 5? Well, we learn that he had often been chained hand and foot, 
We learn that no one was strong enough to subdue him. And we learn that night and day among the tombs, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This oppression had taken over his life and Jesus had arrived to set him free. Mark introduces us to Jesus as the Son of God, who had come with the authority to teach, heal, and yes, even cast out demons, which is precisely what he does for this man. At the end of this part of chapter 5, we read that Jesus says to the man, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus went out of his way to dine with tax collectors and sinners. He went out of his way to visit a broken and enslaved man in the middle of a foreign town. Now we can fast forward to Mark chapter 7, which begins with Jesus in the familiar surroundings of his Jewish community, engaging in dialogue with the religious leaders. By the middle of the chapter, though, we find Jesus withdrawing from his own people into Gentile territory once again, this time the vicinity of two notoriously ungodly cities, Tyre and Sidon. Think about the Moulin Rouge in Paris. Think about the Strip in Las Vegas, like these wild cities with wild reputations. This is where Jesus went, and it was in this ungodly place where Jesus is approached by a woman in need, but not just any woman. Mark tells us that the woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So again, we have a foreigner, and we have a foreigner with a significant problem. Now, Jesus' response is actually shocking. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Have you ever looked into the eyes of a truly desperate person, a person at wit's end with nowhere else to turn? That was the scenario of this woman, and those are the eyes that Jesus looked into. He responds again, but this time to announce that her daughter had been set free. He was willing to let a crumb fall to a person in need, regardless of their identity. In the words of Jean Vanier, until we realize that we belong to a common humanity, that we need each other, that we can help each other, we will continue to hide behind feelings of elitism and superiority, and behind the walls of prejudice, judgment, and disdain that those feelings engender. In chapter 10, Mark tells us that Jesus was indignant when his disciples tried to prevent people from bringing their little children forward to be blessed, saying, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In chapter 12, he tells the story of a poor widow whose paltry offering amounted to more than all the others because of her sacrifice. Outsiders, minorities, people with deep hidden wounds, those with nowhere else to turn. Now, it would appear that Jesus had one group that he didn't have a lot of time for. We read about them by going back to this morning's passage from Mark chapter 2. I'll read verse 5 to 11. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these friends who have brought this paralyzed man to him, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. 
those who thought that they knew it all, who thought that they had it figured out, were of little interest to Jesus. Another example comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest. You weren't allowed to even do any kind of harvesting at all, including just pick some heads of grains to snack on. Well, Jesus responds with a story about the life of David, one of their heroes of faith. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus had authority to teach, heal, cast out demons, and now he asserts his authority over the most sacred of Jewish teachings and right in their faces. In the end, Jesus would warn his followers to avoid the yeast of the Pharisees, a self-righteous attitude that caused them to look down on others while exalting themselves, and an attitude that would spread among the community. Instead, Jesus demonstrated in each and every one of his interactions he had with people that the kingdom of heaven was open to all, even the lowest of lows, and maybe even especially open to them. Jesus was willing to be mocked and excluded from their elitist religious clubs because he knew that he knew that he knew that he was about his father's business. And his father's business wasn't all healings and miracles either. In fact, this rejection he was facing from the teachers of the law, well, it was part and parcel of his divine calling. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we read, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. But we'll stop there today and pick up that theme again in Luke's Gospel next week. Now, at the end of our reading this morning was this line. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, if you remember, which you may not, how I ended last week, it was a very similar ending to the passage we had from Matthew's Gospel. Amazement. The people were amazed by the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. The people were amazed by the authority that Jesus showed with his healing miracles. Twelve times in the shortest of the four Gospels, Mark uses this word, amazed. He was trying to drive the point home. The people were amazed at who Jesus was and what he was able to do. But to reiterate what I said last week, it was never about the emotional reaction. Jesus wasn't out to impress the crowds. He was there to announce that the kingdom of God had come and that it was open to all and that he had the authority given to him by his Father in heaven and to invite people people in that first century, but also those of us today, listening, watching, hearing the same message, an invitation to trust in him, to put faith in him, to follow him, and ultimately to share the good news in word and deed the way that he did. And so that's the invitation for all of us this morning as we continue to paint this picture of Jesus and who he is for us today. In just a moment, I'm going to close our time in prayer, but just to describe what's going to happen at the conclusion of the service. As we do most Sunday mornings, we have an opportunity to gather together in a virtual space for some discussion about this morning's theme. It's a chance to connect with people from our Elevation community and also dive into some questions that have been written about this morning's topic. You can find a link to that in the comments or in an email that was sent out at the end of the week. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks 
for the stories that have been passed down, stories that remind us of who you are and what you have done for us and for our world. It's my prayer that as we reflect on a life of active faith, a life of faith that is oriented towards others and outsiders and people in the margins, that we would put our own faith into action, that we would be able to do whatever we can to see people healed and set free and invited to the table of God. And so Lord, empower us, encourage us by your spirit, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Peace to you.